0: Good morning. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) If I can speak right this morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Victory Baptist Church, our live streaming service for the uh, Sunday morning worship hour. Uh, We completed the Sunday school hour just a little while ago, uh, and we're looking at Romans chapter six, and we are going to continue that this morning. Yes, we're back to live streaming only. Yes, it's a little... It's a little I, I don't even have words for it anymore. I know this. I'm I'm ready for uh twenty twenty to be over. I'm ready for this pandemic to be over for, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, you don't want people suffering uh from, from sickness, you don't want people dying, obviously you don't want people suffering from economic fallout, you don't want all, all the things that are happening, you don't want it for for those reasons. And then you just don't for your own disruption of in your own life, you don't want it happening for those reasons as well. But as a as a pastor, it is just it's it's very it's very difficult trying to teach this way especially teaching something as complicated as Romans chapter 6. I really wish people were here but you know it's the way it is, so we're going to make the best of it, and so we're trying to take a unique approach to this, trying to use the technology that is available to us uh, via live streaming so that we can listen to other audio. I think hopefully this adds kind of a different element to it, changes it up a little bit, um, and hopefully hopefully people will benefit from it, but are you ready? All right, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. Let's just remind ourselves, in Romans chapter 6, Paul Transitions from a, a really a philological discussion about justification. How are we saved? He, he's taught. He spoke about the reality of sin, that we are saved, that we are justified by God's grace apart from works. We've talked about all of that. He really, he he really, I think, uh, explained it over and over and over again. And I don't, I I think that a, a pretty clear reading of that is is at least easy to get a basic understanding of what Paul is saying. But then, now he does, he did throw us a big curve. In Romans chapter 2, when he says we're going to be judged according to our works, be judged according to our deeds, that posed all kinds of problems. But the rest of it, once you get past that, the rest of it, I think, wasn't super complicated. There were some sections that were complicated, but I think for the most part, we get the basic idea. We are justified by God's grace apart from our works. That's the way it occurs. So, I think once we grasp that, then we're like, okay, we we have this much down. Then he transitions from Romans 5 to Romans 6, and now he seems to want to give us the practical implications of that justification. How does that justification—is there a practical effect to it? Does it affect us in a practical way? And this raises all kinds of questions, because Paul says in Romans chapter 6— Got to pick up everything over here. Romans chapter six, he says, verse one. Uh, remember, he starts with a question. Remember, there's two major questions. One question is about sin and grace. The other question is about law and grace. And the first question is, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? All right, Where, wherever sin is, grace abounds. So then pe- some people say, well, if grace abounds wherever there is sin, then I should just continue to sin so that grace may abound. All right, some people could ask that question in an antagonistic way. Some people could ask that in a very honest way because they really are trying to figure this out. Whatever the case is, Paul, he he poses the question. He gives a simple answer. The simple answer is, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can you continue to live in sin? You're dead to sin, all right? So there's the simple answer. You can't do it. It's a rhetoric. He answers the question with a rhetorical question because the answer should be, no, I can't. I can't live any longer in it anymore because I'm dead to it. That seems to be the implication. All right. Then starting in verse 3 to 14, he offers a lengthy explanation to his simple answer. Then in verse 15, he poses another question is posed. What then? Shall we sin because we're under the law? But uh what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Hey, we're no longer under the law. So shouldn't I just continue to sin? God forbid. And then he's going to then offer a short answer and then an explanation. And we'll get to that when it's some, someday we'll finally get there. But the first question and the first simple answer and the explanation has raised some very important questions we're trying to figure out. So we're still trying to get Uh, an answer to the question Paul posed, right? He gives us a simple answer, but his explanation and even his simple answer raises all kinds of questions. And here are those questions. Let's remind ourselves. What does it mean to be dead to sin? What does it mean to be dead to sin? When did we become dead to sin? And how did we become dead to sin? All right, uh, maybe I'm stating them differently than I did in the first hour, but you get the basic idea: what does it mean to be dead to sin w- w- you know when did I become dead to sin, and how did this occur? How did this occur and what and then i I, I think I gave three in the last one now i 'm thinking of four, so when did this happen? how did this happen and what does it mean, uh, what, what does baptism mean in Romans chapter 6? All of these are questions that, that, that comes from the chapter. And remember I said in the last hour, I could just, I could give you like 50 questions. So every time I start thinking of the questions, I come up with more because there's just so more hitting us there in the text. So the simple, I guess the basic questions we really are trying to focus on is what does it mean to be dead to sin? We still haven't figured that out, all right? How did I become dead to sin? When and how did I become dead to sin? All right, you can kind of put those together. And what does baptism mean? And the reason we got to figure out the baptism is because according to Paul, how did you become dead to sin? Baptism. When did you become dead to sin? Baptism. This baptism is the when and the how. So I got to figure out what the baptism means. Yeah, I want to know, when did I become dead to sin? Because he just states it in a dogmatic way. You died to sin. Well, wait, when did this happen? How did this happen? Oh, simple answer, baptism. When you were baptized into Christ, when you were baptized into Jesus, you were baptized into his death. Well, wait a minute. If I was baptized into his death, well, then why do I sin and how do do we sin? And we're trying to figure that out. And remember, there are two basic theories. Water baptism. And non-water baptism. That it's either a baptism done with water or there's some other kind of baptism that occurs. Now, once we even figure out what this baptism is and how this baptism occurs, then we have to figure out what does it what does it do? How does it work? And so in the last hour, I played an audio clip from from Catholics who make it sound so simple. Hey, when you're baptized, that's when you died. You died to sin and you you wrote you you experienced a new life. Now of course we know in Catholic theology that they don't really mean that. Because they mean you died, you have new life, and then five minutes later you can commit a mortal sin and lose it all. So, did And if you lose it all, do you have to be rebaptized to get it back? Well, obviously, in Catholic theology, you don't have to get rebaptized. Well, if I don't have to get rebaptized, then like I don't understand it. Did baptism do it or did it not do it? Did it accomplish something? If it if accomplishes it, and I can lose it, you think I would need the baptism to get regain it? So I, I'll never understand that whole broken baptism is how it happened. Baptism is when it happened and how it happened, but if you lose it, you don't need the baptism to get it back. Well, then, then baptism is not necessary. Like, it's only necessary the first time. Like, that makes no sense to me at all. You would think the minute I lose it, I would just go get rebaptized again, and then I would be dead to sin again, and then I would have new, new life again, and I'd be a new creature. Don't even worry about going to confession. Just go to baptism. Right? Like, it's just so convoluted and so so confusing. All right, so so we listen to the Catholic view; they want water. Now we're listening to a Protestant, and he seems to be saying that the baptism here is not water. So we're going to go back and try to finish that up. Hopefully, that's a, a that's the best review I can give you, other than going, uh, you know. I I all I can do is try to explain it as simply as I can. There's nothing simple to explain here. I guess that's the difficulty here. Like how do you, it's 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 difficult to review because the more you review the more you're like this just is so convoluted that it even your even the review becomes convoluted because there's nothing simple here. There's nothing simple here. That's what I want you to feel. And and again, I, I the the analogy I'm using, we're like literally in the middle of the ocean We are drowning in questions and confusion. And what we're going to try to do is just simply stay afloat long enough that we can hopefully get to the shore and then we can wash up on the shore, catch our breath and go, okay, at least we found some ground to stand on. Right now, we don't have have anything to stand on. We have just absolute confusion, right? I don't really know what it means to be dead to sin and neither do you and neither does any of the pastors who act like they do because they contradict themselves. What does it mean that we're baptized and that it produces all of this? Nobody seems to know because they contradict themselves. Let's see if this pastor contradicts himself. He's, he's already kind of made kind of this implication that, hey, you're dead to sin. That means you can say no to the flesh. He didn't even bother to explain if I can say no to the flesh, why do I continue to sin? But now he's going to the baptism part. When did this happen? How did this happen? Here we go. We're going to just jump right back in. I backed it up just a few seconds. Let's uh, let's pick this up, and we'll, we'll take this apart. Here we go.
1: Look what he goes on to say in verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, stop there for just a moment. Before we can understand what Paul is saying here, we have to understand a, a, a good working definition for the word, Uh, baptism or baptized or or however Paul is using it specifically here. Let me ask you, I'll start by asking you a question. Have you been baptized into Christ? Now, when I ask that question, what people typically think I'm referring to is when were you baptized in water? But that's not what I'm asking, and that's not what Paul is referring to. The reason we think that is because we've taken water baptism over the years and we've exalted the act over the meaning. The meaning of, of water baptism has a, is greater than the act of water baptism. We'll talk about that. But the, 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 the word baptism simply means to be immersed. All right? To be baptized is to be immersed. And the Bible talks about several baptisms. Water
0: all right, let's stop right here. Okay, now he says we've exalted the act of baptism over the meaning. So the meaning is more is more significant than the act. So does the act produce what it means or does the act simply symbolize what it means? Like, like well, you got to explain what we mean here because remember the goal here is Paul is seeming to say baptism is what brought about this death. Baptism is what supposedly did this. So, he says that this is not water baptism. This is not water baptism. That the baptism that produced me being dead to sin is not a water baptism. Now, how do we, how do we justify that view? How do we justify that view? Now, these are, again, the questions here are just going to keep coming and coming. and They're going to come fast. And you're just going to have to, you can write these questions down. You can start trying to think about them and start trying to process this, all right? So what would you use to justify that this is not water baptism? How would you argue? Hey, the word baptism there, well, 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 let's do this. Let's do this, all right? Let's go, let's just look up the the word here. If you have the Blue Letter Bible app uh, on your device, you can pull this up. You can hear the same thing I'm getting ready to show you. I'm in Deuteronomy. We don't want that. That was for a different study. Romans chapter 6. All right. Let's go. The first time he uses the word baptized here is in verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ. Let's go to interlinear. And the word baptized here is baptizo, which you've all heard before.
1: Strong's G907. Baptizo. Baptizo,
0: All right, baptizo, baptizo, you get the idea, all right? Now, what does it mean? Well, um, outline of biblical usage. This is uh, what's here in the interlinear. To dip repeatedly, to immerse, to submerge, a vessel sunk, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash one's self bathed So yes, the basic idea is to dip into something, to immerse into something, to submerge. That's the basic idea, all right? So this just seems to destroy the idea of sprinkling as a form of baptism that would be legitimate. Uh, The the definition of baptizo seems to be be pretty clear. Almost everyone seems to agree on the meaning of the word. Why the historical practice of sprinkling started showing up in the church, we could argue all day, but if we're going to go with the Bible and the meaning of the word, means to dip into to to immerse. So he's using baptizo. Now if he's using baptizo which seems to mean dip repeatedly to immerse to submerge to cleanse by dipping or submerging or to wash, this would seem to imply this is referring to the water baptism. You would have to at least make an argument here. All right? Um uh the the, the baptizo is used 80 times. It's used baptize, wash, bab bapti- uh, baptist Baptized, there's, there's the basic idea. Um, uh, Strong's definition, immerse, submerge to, uh, to make whelmed fully wet, used only in the New Testament of ceremony, ceremonial ablution, especially technically of the ordinance of Christian baptism. Baptize, baptize, wash. So they would make the argument here that, hey, th- this, this seems to be, the, 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 the meaning of the word would seem to lead to, no, this is water baptism. So does water baptism... Caused this? Now, some are going to say, "No, water baptism. Water baptism only symbolizes this." Well, wait—the symbol can't create the result. Remember, Paul's whole argument here. Paul's whole argument here is that how did you become dead to sin when you were baptized into Christ Jesus? When you were baptized into His death, He's seeming he's seeming to make the argument that what led that what caused me to die to sin was the baptism. So if it's water baptism here, water baptism can't sim- water baptism, the symbol it, Paul is making the argument that baptism is what created the, the the solution. It's what caused it to happen. Not that baptism symbolizes it. He's seeming to argument, hey, you you know, you can't live in sin any longer. You died to it. When did you die to it? When you were baptized into Christ Jesus. You're baptized into his death. Well, wait a minute. So did baptism cause me to be dead to sin? And if it is, what bapti- it, 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 it appears to be water baptism. Is there any argument that can be laid out logically that would argue that this is not water baptism? All right, we, we've got to work this through. We got to think this through. We got, to, we got to struggle with this. All right, we got to struggle with this. I've already got some scriptures written down that I could try to pose an argument, but I, right now I want you to just splash around trying to figure this out. All right, so here we go. Let's see, let's see what argument he puts forth.
1: Water baptism is one of them. There's baptism in the Spirit, or by the Spirit, which is being immersed in the Spirit. Do you know that the Bible even talks about being baptized into suffering? You don't hear much about that one, do you? I don't hear many people praying for that one either. But there is such a thing as being immersed in suffering. Okay? When Paul is talking here
0: about baptism, now, let's stop right here. He says the Bible, t- the Bible speaks of being baptized into suffering, all right? Does anybody—I'm going to do this for the members of Victory Baptist Church—do you know where that reference is? He says the Bible speaks of being baptized into suffering, all right? Can we find that verse? Who can find the verse? I'm going to leave it to the members of Victory Baptist Church to see who can find it first. Now, there's always, for those listening live, there's a delay. uh, There's a long delay. So when I ask the members of the church to find a verse, it's going to take a while. But I, I, I think this is going to be, I think this is an important exercise because this is very critical to establishing an argument that's going to be used later. So I want the people to actually participate. Who can find, what verse he's referencing, that we are somehow baptized into suffering? Who can, who can find it? Because this would, this would be very important, right? If we, if we look up the definition of baptized there, if we, look up at the de, if we look up at the definition of baptized, baptizo, it seems to imply water baptism. Now, he's arguing, well, baptism doesn't always refer to water baptism. This is the argument he's trying to ultimately make, because there's a place in the Bible that speaks of, hey, you're baptized into suffering. That would seem to indicate that baptism is not always referencing an actual water baptism. So let's see who at Victory Baptist Church can find uh, the verse. What, where is the verse that talks about us being baptized into suffering, right? Who can find it first? We will see. I'm going to wait for them. See if we can locate it here. All right. I'm looking for something. I'm looking here. Yeah, I'm. I'm interested. See, is, 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 I think this is maybe where it's used. Yeah, I don't know where where what passage he's referencing here. Maybe. Yeah, I've got I got an idea. but well, we'll see. I'm going to wait and see who can who can find it first, all right? Someone's answering. I had to wait. Again, there's a delay for those listening live. I see we are partakers of his suffering in 1 Peter 4:13. Yes, I agree. I think if we look up the word, yeah, I I don't know what he's referencing. He didn't give a reference, which is which is troubling. If we look up the word If we look up the word baptize, I'm going to put baptized. I'm going to go New Testament. The best we can come up with and see, I'm I'm looking for something that refers to being baptized into suffering. Um, I am looking here. I think there's one passage that I I don't know if it has anything to do with suffering, but, um, okay, if we go to, now this is not the one he's referencing, but we may want to write this one down. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Oh, okay, uh, Okay. All right. So, some some people gave some other scriptures. We'll get to those in just a minute. Okay. We'll look at those in just a second. Go to First Corinthians chapter ten. Go to First Corinthians chapter ten. First Corinthians chapter ten. First Corinthians chapter ten. Look at verse one, First Corinthians chapter ten, verse one. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now let's stop right here. This is important because now we have the word baptism. Now clearly, this is not referring to water baptism. We're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Okay, well they didn't get wet. Right, right. The sea parted. They were so. So they were all baptized. So they were all immersed into Moses. They were all somehow united with Moses. Clearly, this is using baptism, not like hey, you're put in water and you're made fully wet. That's not the the point. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All right. Now, I mean, in fact, it would be interesting as First Corinthians ten two. Give me a second here. Give me a second here. I'm going to look something up here. First Corinthians 10 2. first Corinthians 10 2. if you hear a noise in the background uh, that noise is uh, someone is someone's got a lawnmower going on close very close to the church building so don't know what's going on out there but that if you hear that that's what's happening okay um, here we go um Yeah, I think all the translations use the word baptized. First Corinthians 10 2. I'm going to go from a number of translations. New International Version. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. New Living Translation. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. ESV. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Berean Study Bible. They were all baptized into Moses. Berean literal Bible, and all were baptized into Moses. New American Standard, and all were baptized into Moses. So every translation uses the word baptized. They all do. Uh, well, the International Standard says they were all immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All right? They were all united with Moses by baptism in the cloud and the sea. So they all use the word baptized. They all do. And I believe 1 Corinthians 10 2. Let's verify this. Hang on. Let's go to 1 Corinthians because I don't want to use, uh, I don't want to g- give us a wrong understanding. 1 Corinthians 10.2. Yeah, it baptizo. So the exact same word. So this 1 Corinthians 10.2 proves, I don't know why he didn't go with this one first. I don't know why he he didn't, this one makes more sense to me. 1 Corinthians 10.2, we're all immersed. They were all baptized into Moses. Well, they, they didn't actually put, there wasn't water. I mean, to see the cloud, like, no, they, this is not them being dipped into water. Literally, remember, the sea is parted. They go through the sea. The sea is around them. They're not in it. They don't get wet. So this is not a physical baptism. This is, in a sense, a symbolic immersion into Moses. They were united in, to Moses. They became followers of Moses. So this is using baptism and a, a different kind of baptism, a being united with. Being connected to. No water there is spoken of other than obviously the water of the sea, but they didn't actually get in it. All right, so let's go back to these other verses that people uh, offered up. Okay, some people said, let's see, Mark 10 39. Let's take a look at that one. Mark 10. I hate when pastors do that and they make a reference like they're trying to make a point, and then they don't give you the actual uh, reference. Okay, this, this one is good Mark 10 39. And they said unto him, uh, we can't, um, let's go back to verse 38. But Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Now, this is Mark ten thirty-eight. Now, clearly Jesus is not speaking of the water baptism. He'd already been baptized by water at this point. So what baptism is he referring to? Verse 39, and they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto him, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I'm baptized with all, shall ye be baptized? This is referring to suffering. This is referring to suffering. So this is not a this is not this is using baptism in a symbolic way. In other words, they're they're going to be immersed into suffering. They're going to be immersed and united with this kind of suffering. Jesus is going to experience a baptism of suffering. He's going to be immersed in the suffering and be a partaker of it. So this demonstrates that just because we read the word baptism in Romans six, it doesn't necessarily mean hey water. Even though baptizo does typically mean that. See, this is very important. This is why sometimes in Bible study, the simple definition of the word is not always sufficient to give you the meaning of what's going on. Right? You remember, a word can have a general meaning, but based off the context that it's used, it can be used in a different way. We do that in English all the time. We can say something is cool, and that can mean, oh, it's awesome, it's wonderful, it's great. Or it can mean actually it's cool in temperature. We can use the same word with different, have different ideas. Baptizo clearly typically refers to being dipped into water, being immersed, but it can be used in a very symbolic way. Hey, they were all baptized into Moses. Wait, I, I mean, the baptism. That I'm going to endure. What baptism? He's not talking about, hey guys, I got dipped in water. I'm going to be dipped in water. You're going to be dipped in water. No, he's talking about suffering. Can you endure it? Well, you're going to endure. You're going to go through it, just like I'm going to go through it. I'm going to suffer. You're going to suffer. Baptism of suffering. Yeah, now it doesn't say that phrase specifically, but that's clearly what it means. So what does this indicate? When I go to Romans 6, I need to ask myself, okay, Is this a water baptism or is this some other kind of baptism? 1 Corinthians 10 speaks of a baptism that connected people with Moses, right? They were immersed. They were united with Moses. So how do I become dead to sin? A baptism being united, being immersed, being connected with Christ because he talked about being baptized into Jesus. In fact, let's go to Romans 6. The exact language that is used. Romans 6. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. This is speaking of being immersed, being united with Christ, just as in 1 Corinthians 10, Israel was baptized, immersed into Moses. There is a, a, a connection here. That's what leads to the death. All right. That's what leads to the death. So this is giving us a hint that it may not be water baptism that's being spoken of here. All right, it's not the baptism here is something different. Right? It's somehow a connection with Christ. Right? Let's see where else he goes here. And he could have saved us some time if giving us some some scriptural references, but that's okay. The reason the reason many pastors do that is because of time. They're they're worried about time. They're worried about time. They got to get they got to move on. They got to move because he wants to finish Romans six basically one through fourteen and about. I think the total sermon is about 34 minutes. He wants to knock it out in 34 minutes. Well, instead of worrying about knocking it out in 34 minutes so that you can get through your series and the uh, amount of time that you know, you've told everyone, how about just focus on digging in as deep as possible? So thanks to everyone who gave scripture. Diane, I think yours is probably the best. Emma, I didn't look at the Luke one, but I may be referencing the same thing. So I think those are, are, are good examples Of what we're looking at. Remember, what I want you to take from this is this that in 1 Corinthians 10, there in in, in the passage uh, Diane gave us, which is Mark chapter 12, or Mark chapter 10, verse 39, in both cases, we see the word baptizo. In fact, let's check the Mark 10 one to make sure. Let me check it, because I don't want to say anything that's incorrect. Let me go to Mark 10. I want to make sure it's the same Greek word because that would be horrible if it wasn't. I'd have to delete the recording, which would be horrible. So let's go to Mark 10, 39, pull up the antilinear. Okay, Mark 10, 39. And... Okay, it's baptisma. Okay, well, and, and baptize with all, baptizo, shall ye be b- baptized. So baptizo is used twice here, and baptisma uh, is used uh, here Um Oh, okay this is interesting um strongs g nine o eight baptisma 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 means immersion or submerge or submersion um it can speak of calamities and afflictions uh, of john's baptism baptism or of Christian baptism a rite of immersion and water as commanded by Christ, so it still leads to uh, Still leads to the idea of water. Still leads to the idea of water. But clearly the way it's being used in Mark is for two, being immersed, 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 being submerged into suffering. That's the idea that's being carried there. So Mark and 1st Corinthians gives us at least the hint that the word baptism should not always be read as water. There's water. There, that, that means water. That means you got to be put in water. No. Some cases, and speaking of being immersed into something, submerged into something, being united, being identified with something. As Israel was identified, immersed into Moses through their journey with the sea and the cloud, they ended up becoming immersed, united with Moses. We, somehow, we are united, immersed into Christ Jesus And with being immersed into Christ, we are immersed into his death. And this is what leads you and I to being declared being dead to sin. So doesn't necessarily mean it's water. Now, it doesn't rule it out. But it at least acknowledges that there's other places of scripture where the word baptizo, baptisma is used and it can be used in a way that goes beyond water. That's what we want to establish. I'm kind of doing his work for him. He may clarify this better than I just did, but hopefully that gives us at least a hint that maybe there is a way of understanding Romans 6, and we don't have to worry about water in Romans chapter 6. But we will see. Let's continue.
1: He's talking about the spiritual reality that you and I portray when we're baptized in water. But please understand, Christians, Water baptism, as uh, when I'm talking about the act of water baptism, it is a portrayal of a greater reality. Water ba- that's why we know that water baptism doesn't save people. It's what happens, it's the reality that saves you, being immersed into Christ. We immerse people in water to portray the fact that they've been immersed into Christ, okay? And and the whole water baptism story is a beautiful dramatic picture. I usually ask people before we when we do our water baptism class.
0: Now again, he's got he's got to, he's got to take this a step further. Romans six can't just be here's what water baptism demonstrates. We've got to, the the baptism that he is referring to is the thing that that that's his whole answer. You're dead to sin. When did you become dead to sin? How did you become dead to sin? You became dead to sin and when you were baptized into Christ Jesus. Because when you were baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. He's not here going, hey, your baptism symbolizes something. No, no, no. He he is saying there was a reality. There was a reality. And this reality is why you're dead to sin. This reality. But this reality is not... Everyone goes to Romans 6 saying, hey, this is what pictures, this is what uh, uh, baptism pictures, w- w- that we got to understand this in the context that this is found. Let's go back through this again, Romans chapter 6. Here's the question What shall we say then? Shall you continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? So, This can't become a passage that just says, this is what water baptism symbolizes. No, Paul is making an actual argument of how you became dead to sin. How did you become dead to sin? Now, we still haven't figured out what that means. But I think what he's trying to say here is there was a baptism. There was an immersion. There was a submersion that occurred. That led to you being dead to sin. He's not here trying to tell you what water baptism pictures. He's trying to explain to them how they became dead to sin. And because of this is why they should no longer live in sin. Why they should stop trying to sin. When they should strive against it. Because something happened. And it's when you were baptized into Christ Jesus. It's when you were baptized into his death. All right. what? When did this occur? See, he's turning the sermon into, wait. This is what water, water baptism pictures. Now, I don't think water is even the, the focus here. The focus is, is when did this baptism occur? How did this baptism occur? How do I know if I've experienced this baptism? Because this baptism is key to the answer of this whole chapter. Right? So let's see if we can find the answer here. Let's continue.
1: If any of them have ever been in drama of any kind in school or college or something like that. Some of them have. And I'll say, well, you know what it's like then to act out a story. And water baptism is a beautiful story that you're essentially acting out or portraying, but, that, but the act of water baptism is not what saves you. It's what you're portraying, you know. The reality, the spiritual reality of being immersed into Christ that's what saves you because your sins are forgiven and you've accepted Jesus for what he did for you on the cross, all right? So, so understand that, that water baptism is, is a portrayal of a spiritual reality, and that spiritual reality is what we're talking about here. Now, he's telling us that when you are immersed into Christ, you are joined with him in various certain things. And, and one of the things you're joined with Christ in when you're immersed or baptized into Christ is you're joined with him in his death. Seems like a crazy sort of a thing to me. I remember when I got baptized in water, I didn't, I, you know, I was in my 20s, I didn't even understand this stuff. But I went and I submitted to, you know, water baptism because out of obedience and stuff like that, it's in the word. But I remember at the time I didn't understand what I was doing. But I was, I was telling a story. And every time we do a baptism, people tell a story. What is that story? It's the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and now how you are identified with and joining him in those things. So we take people into the water, right? And they stand there, and what they're portraying now is the life without Christ. They come into the water. Now, they're already born again. But they're still portraying this after the fact. So we bring them into the water. And the first thing that we do is we lay them back into the water. And that portrays the fact that they have joined with Christ in his death. And then when they're in the water, for however short a time it is, that portrays that they have joined with Christ literally merged with him in his burial and then we bring them back up out of the water and that signifies portrays if you will the spiritual reality of the fact that they have been raised with christ into a new life so it's this beautiful portrayal of a spiritual reality but again water baptism itself the act doesn't save people you can you can you know, get anybody you want, you know, dunk them in water, it's not going to make any difference unless there has been a spiritual action that has gone along with that sort of a thing. I mean, if, if water baptism saved people, we'd baptize people without their consent. We just, we'd just go around and start tying them up with ropes and duct tape and hauling them in and dunking them in water and say, there, you'll thank me someday, you know, uh, you know, but, but what, right? I mean, if, if, if that, that's all it took, but that's not all it takes. It's a heart situation. It's a coming to Christ. It's an opening one's heart completely to what he has done on the cross. And once that heart has been opened, the spiritual reality of being baptized into Christ takes place, immersed into Jesus, joining him in his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, why is Paul bringing all this up? Because that resurrection part of it, of being joined with Christ, is not just for some great, wonderful day down the road when, you, when your body will be raised and resurrected. He's talking about a resurrection today. A resurrection that you can enjoy, that you can take hold of today. August, what is it, 2nd, 2015. He has a resurrection in mind today. For you, look at verse 4 again. Let me let's read it here in your Bible. He says, We were buried, therefore, with him by immersion, and that's what the baptism means into death, in order that, or so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might. Be raised one day? No, it's not what he says. He says, so that we too might walk in newness of life. He's talking about your new relationship to sin. Remember what we saw before from Ephesians? What was your relationship to sin? You were dead in it. Now you're dead to it. And you have a new relationship that allows you to walk in a new way according to the plan of God, the purpose of God, the heart of God, and no longer according to the flesh. This is the beauty of what has happened to you and I. This death that you and I entered into with Jesus, it was needed because, you know, we had to be dead to what once controlled us, which is the old man or the old woman, as the case may be. The old sinful person needed to die because a death, only a death, could set us free from the old life of the flesh only death could set us free so what is the result again you see that the end of verse 4 is that we might walk in the newness of life and here's how paul says it if you go on in verse 5 look with me there for
0: okay so <laughs> he he didn't <laughs> He didn't do, a, he didn't really, he's already ready to move on. He's already ready to move on. He's already ready to move on, which is so typical. This is the kind of, this is why, oh, I would not ever be able to survive in churches anymore. This stuff would drive me crazy. Like I, I he still didn't really articulate it. So what he wants me to know is that water baptism pictures a, a spiritual reality and that we have the spiritual reality and then water baptism pictures it. But he's not, Paul is not talking about what, what the symbol he's not talking about a symbol here he's talking about hey you cannot continue to live in sin because you died to it when did you die to it when you were baptized into christ because when you were baptized into christ you were baptized into his death therefore you experienced a death you experienced a burial you experienced a resurrection and now you walk in a newness of life so now you are to walk differently all right, okay, but when did this baptism take place? What is this baptism? According to him, this is the way we could we could explain this. The baptism here is salvation. So in other words, the way he, we, could, we could translate it this way, we could paraphrase it this way, according to what we just heard. According to the teaching we just heard, we would read it this way. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were saved into Christ Jesus were baptized or were saved into his death. So he he's saying baptism is salvation. Baptism is at salvation. And at salvation, we were and and again we and I and I'm because he's saying the baptism here is salvation. It's salvation at salvation. What occurred? You were you were immersed into Christ and you were immersed into His death. At salvation, you were united, submerged, immersed into Christ and then immersed into His death. And as a result, he's arguing the practical ramifications is now you should walk in a whole new way of living. You can't live the old way because you're dead to it. You've died to it. Now, let's stop right here and think a couple of things. One of the key elements of the Protestant teaching of justification is that in justification nothing happens to me practically. I am just positionally declared righteous. I am just positionally declared because Christ's righteousness is imputed to my account. I'm declared to be just. I'm declared to be righteous. I'm declared to be perfect. I'm now declared to be a child of God. I've been adopted into the family of God, but in my practical life, I'm still a sinner, right? We don't believe in infused. We believe in an imputed righteousness, right? So when did this occur? At salvation. So, I'm going to use this to try to build our argument that this is all a positional thing. When I became a Christian, what happened? I'm united to Christ. Did I literally die? Clearly not. I obviously did not physically die. If I spiritually died, right? If I spiritually died, clearly, what, what does it mean that I spiritually died, right? Did I die practically? Well, if I died practically to sin when I became a Christian, right? The minute I became a Christian, you know, October 1980, whatever it was, then I would have walked out of there going, boom, boom, I'm dead to sin. I would, I would have literally have experienced a, a deadness to sin that was never there prior to. Well, I know that after my salvation in October of 1980, I committed all kinds of sins and had all kinds of struggles and have experienced all kinds of difficulties just like you have. So is it possible that what Paul is saying is, hey, when you were saved, guess what? You were positionally united to Christ. And because you are positionally united to Christ, your position is the old you is dead. You no longer exist. A new you has been brought forth. And that new you is declared perfectly righteous, declared justified by God. And now you stand as a new creature in the presence of God. And that new person, that new person obviously doesn't live in sin. That new person doesn't sin because that's your positional place. And you now you, what you need to do is try to live that out practically. You need to try to now put into practice, strive to put into practice what is true positionally. And why would I argue for that, uh, that, that interpretation? Well, look at what, what happens. Know you not that many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. That if we understand this not to be water baptism, that this means my immersion into Christ, my uni- being united to Christ, which occurred in salvation, right? That I, that, that I was positionally buried with him by baptism into death, and that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. I should walk in that newness of life. I should try to walk out practically what is true positionally. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Clearly, that has to be a positional, that I was crucified, that I died positionally. Practically, I try to live this out. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but he that liveth, he liveth unto God. Now look at verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why do I need to reckon that to be true? Why do I need to reckon that? What does the word reckon there in verse 11 mean? Let's look at at the word. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans 6. Let's go to verse 11. Antilinear. The word reckon. The word reckon means this.
1: Strong's G 3049. Lagizamai. Lagizamai.
0: Okay. Lagizamai. Legizomai, now what does, the, the online biblical usage for Legizomai is this, to reckon, to count, to compute, to calculate, to take into account, to make an account of, to reckon or account, all right? Um, uh. The word deals with reality. If I reckon, logizomai, that my bank book has $25 in it, it has $25 in it. Otherwise, I'm deceiving myself. The, refer, the word refers more to a fact than a, a, a supposition or an opinion. All right, that, that doesn't help a lot. The idea, in fact, what's interesting, the word uh, is translated impute eight times. So here's the idea. I have to reckon, I have to account what is true positionally positionally, I'm dead. Positionally, I'm dead and buried and raised as a new creature in Christ. Now, I have to reckon that to be true in my everyday life. I have to account that to be true and reckon that. I have to try to live out the reality of what is true positionally. What is true is positionally, it's a fact. It's guaranteed. It's the way it is. Now, I need to try to live that out. Am I going to live it out perfectly? Absolutely not. Am I going to fall short? Absolutely not. But when I fall short, it doesn't change the fact that positionally, I'm buried with Christ. I'm dead to sin. That is true positionally. Practically, I have to reckon that to be so. I have to try to live that out. That makes more sense to me. Uh, Go back to Romans chapter 6. Not only are we to reckon it, verse, let's see here yeah just reckon uh so likewise reckon yourself and then yeah uh there there's another word that shows up later, I think that shows up after verse fifteen, but we have the reckon right there we have to, to reckon, let not sin there, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God. why do I have to try to fight about not yielding myself? If I'm dead, there would be no way that I could yield myself, right? If I'm dead to sin, I can't yield to it. I'm dead to it. No, I'm dead to it positionally. Practically, now I have to engage with the struggle of not yielding myself to it and yielding myself to God. So let's, let's back up. What does it mean to be dead to sin? I think I, I'm going to make an argument again that this dead to sin has to be a positional thing. I'm dead to sin positionally, all right? How did this occur? And a baptism, I don't think water baptism produces the position. I don't think that's the case, um, and I don't think water baptism is used is utilized here. And the reason I don't think water baptism is being spoken of here is because water baptism is spoken of in different when baptism is spoken of in different ways in the Bible. Baptism of suffering, being baptized into Moses. So, how do I understand this? Here's what happened at my salvation. Now, now I think there's a I think there's a step we need to take further to explain this, but I'm just gonna go with the language we used that was used in this sermon. At my salvation, I was immersed, I was submerged into Christ Jesus. And along with that, I was united with him in his death. I believe all that is positional. I'm in Christ, I died, and I rose again, all in a positional way right? So, how did this all occur? It occurred at my salvation, where I was united to Christ, united in his death, rose again as a new creature, and I'm now seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am a child of God. I am declared righteous. I'm declared to be a saint. I'm declared to be holy. I'm declared to be perfectly righteous and justified, and nothing can change that. But now, practically, I need to try to live that reality. It is a reality, it's, it's an absolute reality positionally. I have to try to live that out practically. That seems to be what Paul is trying to say here. I, how can I continue to live in sin when positionally I'm, I've been baptized into Christ Jesus. I'm united with Christ. I died to sin in Christ Jesus. How can I? How can I continue to walk in it? I'm free in my position. I'm freed from sin. I'm dead to sin. I have nothing to do with sin. Sin is no longer a part of me positionally. So now I've got to reckon that to be true. I've got to account that to be true. I've got to try to live that out. That's the only way this makes even. This is the only way this even hopes to make any kind of sense. All right. Now again, he he didn't really explain the baptism. He just makes it, he wants us to realize that water baptism is what's supposed to picture this. I'm not going to argue, I'm not making an argument about whether that's so or not so. What I'm making an argument about is, okay, he's taking baptism, this baptism, he's saying it's salvation. So it's not water, it's something else. He's saying this baptism here is salvation. Okay, I think there's another way to get to this in a different way, but we'll, we'll, we'll work on that later, all right? Let's, let's let him finish up with his argument here. We may have to just stop it because I think he's not going to go back to the baptism at all. I think now he's just going to talk about how you and I should never sin again because he's going to make this, we're free from sin, a practical thing and not a positional thing. But let's, let's, let's see how he continues. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall
1: certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What was his resurrection like? It was one of being raised victorious over the penalty of sin. So he conquered sin, right? By his death, burial, and resurrection. By joining him in his death, burial, and resurrection, we too are victorious. We emerge victorious over sin. All right? Let's keep reading. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, the old man, whatever you want to call it, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So stop there for a moment. Here's, this is interesting language, and Paul's going to develop it a little bit further, but he likens our previous relationship to sin to one of slavery. We were slaves. A slave doesn't have any choice. They live how their master determines they're going to live. And we were in slavery to our sinful nature. We had no choice in the matter. We simply obeyed our flesh. But now, by joining in Christ and his death, that relationship with slavery has been broken. Why? Because the slave is dead. You know, (laughs) when you're a slave, um, there's one way to get set free for sure. That's to die. Because, you know, that master has no more control over a dead slave. Do do you guys, uh, are are any of you into classic movies? I love classic movies. Raised my kids watching classic movies. They, they, They liked them. They went through an interesting period of time in their lives where they liked them, and then they would ask me when I said, hey, let's watch a family movie. They'd say, is it in color? Please, Dad, make, tell us it's in color. Because I showed them all these black and white movies over the years. But there's a great movie back from 1960 called Spartacus. Huh? Who knows about Spartacus? Come on, put your hands up there proudly. All right. You watch some of those old movies too. And that's not even all that old. I mean, well, relatively speaking. But anyway, Spartacus is a movie about Roman times, slaves, and anyway, Kirk Douglas played Spartacus. I won't do my Kirk Douglas impression, but he has a line in the movie that I, I I I always I think is very cool. He says, "Death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why we're not afraid of it." It's an interesting line, but it is nonetheless true as well to what we're looking at here in this passage. Death is the only freedom that a slave knows. And so, as just as death releases a slave from their servitude, so also joining with Christ, being immersed into Jesus' death, we are set free from that previous relationship to sin that once dominated our lives, controlled our lives. Okay? So... Paul, he's going to develop this a little bit more fully in a few verses. But first, look at verse 8 in your Bible. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion or mastery or power, your Bible may say, over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives... He lives to God. Jesus can't die again. That's the point that he's saying here because death has been defeated. You with me? Jesus can't die again because death has been defeated. In the same way, you and I, when we enter into his death, we enter into that victory over sin, right? And and, and, and we stand in that ability to release the power of sin to control and dominate our lives. And then this is this next verse we're going to read, pay attention here, this is important. You might want to underline this in your Bible. This is a key verse to understanding this passage. Verse 11. So, you can always tell when the word so starts off the verse, this is an application verse. So, you also must consider yourselves, your Bible may say, reckon yourselves, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, exercise your faith and believe that you have entered into the death of Christ and that sin no longer has control over your life. I'm just going to let that one sink in for just a moment. See, this is one of the reasons why Paul was, was such, he was criticized so much for his gospel. People said to him, Paul, you're crazy, you're a crazy man. You're telling people, that the path to holy living comes without rules. It's ridiculous. The path to holy living comes by faith? Just believing that we've been set free from the tyranny and the control of the sinful nature? It's supposed. yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And should that surprise you and I at all? How are you saved? For, by faith, Right? By grace through faith. Isn't that how you're saved? Are you working for yourself? I hope not. I hope you're saved by grace through faith. It's amazing how many people understand that, and yet when they look at the sin in their lives, that's a whole different sort of a way of approaching. They they say, oh, yeah, I'm saved by grace. I mean, I know that. I, I, I exercised my faith that what Jesus did on the cross was for me, and now I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. But... When it comes to sin, that's where the hard work begins. And people will say that. I mean, they'll literally say to me, well, I'm really working on this area of my life. You know what Paul would say? He would say to you that when you came to Christ, you literally joined with him in his death. And by putting your faith in the fact of that reality, you will begin to see that manifested in your life on an increasing basis if you will, through faith, believe that you have been set free from the power of sin. Here's the problem, you guys. We don't believe that we've been set free by the power of sin. We don't believe it. Let's just, I mean, you talk to somebody long enough about what's going on in their life and the sin that they struggle with, and you will hear it come out of their mouth eventually in some way, shape, or form. This thing has got me by the jugular, and I can't move, and I can't get free. And what they're saying to you is, I am not free. You know? Well, when we come to Christ, we are set free. That's what Paul is saying here. We are set free from the tyranny and the control of our sinful nature. There's a new relationship for the believer and sin. And through the death of Jesus Christ, we are now made alive to God and we are dead dead to sin. Paul says, now believe it. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Believe that you're dead to sin. It's not wishful thinking, you guys. It's not the kind of thinking like, I believe it, I believe it. You know, like when you wish upon a star, sort of the Disney sort of, I believe, I hope, oh, I wish, I hope, I hope, I hope, I wish. I mean, that whole Disney sort of a mentality, that's what has kind of captivated our hearts. We all grew up with it. And when Paul says, now believe it, we're like, "Okay." I believe, I believe. But no, this is not wishful. It's not the same thing. Believe that it's done. Believe that he did it. Believe that he set you free, that it's real, true, in place, ready to be put into action in your life if you will exercise faith. Paul says, consider, reckon yourselves dead to those old ways.
0: This is so convoluted and crazy. Look, if I look if it really happened in a practical way that I'm really dead and I'm really set free, then why would I be struggling with sin and going oh oh so so what he's saying is here's the thing. The reason you're struggling with sin, the reason you can't overcome it, the reason you can't stop sinning is cuz you don't have faith. If you would exercise that faith, well if I'm not so, so if either it's a rea- so it's a reality, but the reality doesn't take place until I believe it, and if I believe it, then I have the reality of it. Well, guess what? You can have you can take 50 Christians, put them in a room. Well, you can you can have a line of Christians, 1,000, 2,000 Christians lining up and you do an interview. Do you truly believe that you are dead to sin? Do you truly believe you've been set free from sin? Yes. Just only allow the people in the room who believe that they're truly dead to sin, right? In a practical way. They truly believe it. Well, guess what? You know what you're going to find out in those people's lives who truly believe it and truly have faith? That they sin every single stinking day, So no, this is the thing. We, yes, it is by faith that we became dead to sin. It's all the things that he's saying is true positionally. Positionally, I'm dead to it. Positionally, I've been, I've been immersed into Christ. I have been immersed into his, his burial, his death, his burial. I have been, I'm united with him in his resurrection. I am united with him. I am seated with him in heavenly places. This is all my position. I am righteous. I am holy. I am free from sin. I am spiritually alive. I have been resurrected. I'm a new creature. All of those things are true in my position. That's all true positionally. And yes, I am to believe that by faith. And then practically, though, I have to try to reckon that to be true and try to live that reality out. I'm not going to do it perfectly. This is not like, oh, if I believe it, then I'll just be, boom, da-da-da, dun, 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 superpower. I never sin again. No, we all sin. This is so, co- this is basically what he's just told everyone. Hey, guys, the reason you are still sinning is because you don't have faith. If you have faith, you'll stop sinning. No, you won't. I don't care how much faith you have, you're not going to stop sinning. <sighs> okay. And, and he knows that because he gives all these illustrations of people who sin because sin is a reality in his church. Sin is a reality in his family's life. Sin is a reality in his life. Sin is a reality in your life. Sin is a reality in my life. It's a reality that we live with every day. And all I'm, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I need to believe what is true positionally. And yes, I need to try to live it out by reckoning it to be true positionally, trying to live it out practically, and not yielding myself to it. But not yielding myself to it in no way implies that I can not yield myself to it in a perfect in a in a perfect way. No no one no one teaches you can do it perfectly, other than a few small whacked out groups who believe in some kind of sinless perfection. And those whacked out groups, those people have to, they have to redefine what sin is and lie to themselves and live in a fantasy world. But the rest of us Christians, we know that we sin on a regular everyday consistent basis. How do I know? Be holy for I'm holy. You're never going to be as holy as God is. So that means you sin every single day, Monday, Tuesday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's habitual sin in your life. Love the Lord that God with your heart, mind, body, and soul. You're never going to do that perfectly. That means you are, you're an habitual sinner. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're never going to do that on a regular cons- consistent basis. That means you're an habitual sinner. I could go on and on and on and on and on giving you scripture that you do not fulfill. Okay, the, the word of God, you, you, you should treasure this above gold and silver and above food. That means this would be more the most important thing in your life. Come on. The average Christian, the Bible doesn't even look like gold or silver to them. It doesn't even look like food. It just looks like something that they have to do sometimes. So they sin on a habitual, consistent basis. But he's trying to make it out. No, this is a reality. It's a practical reality. No, it's a positional reality. And yes, I am to accept it and believe it by faith. But... And it's a positional reality, and I have to believe it by faith that it's a positional reality. And then practically, well, I've got to view other people as being a new creature in Christ. I view them that way because it's true and positionally. But uh, in our our practice, I try to live out what is true positionally. Let's let him finish up and we'll stop. It's only like a couple of minutes left.
1: Why don't we believe it? Well, because sin is constantly knocking on our door, right? And we hear it every day. I don't I don't get one day's rest from sin, not one day. It's constantly reminding me of its presence in my life. And that and, and so the enemy loves to kind of just dance into that little party and and remind me that you know you're you are as much under the control of sin as you ever were, buddy. So don't go believe in this hogwash in the Bible that somehow you've been set free from your sinful nature good grief. You know, and that's one of the the enemy loves to convey that sort of a thing to you and I, and we believe it. We gulp it down, hook, line, and sinker. But we need to start changing our way of thinking, believing that we really have been set free. Here's how Paul describes the walking out of that faith. Look at
0: verse You haven't been set free from your sinful nature other than your positional standing. Practically, you have not been set free from your... This is the reason sin keeps knocking at your door. This is the reason you keep sinning. This is the reason you keep struggling with sin. You can believe all day that you've been separated from your sinful nature. I'm sorry, buddy. It's not true. It's not true. Other than a positional truth. It's a positional truth. 100% absolute fact, absolute guaranteed, but in your reality, guess what? In that flesh is a sinful nature that's alive and well, and you continue to sin, and you continue to sin, and you continue to sin. And it's not the enemy saying, hey, buddy, stop believing that you've been set free from a sinful nature. No, it's not the enemy, it's reality. In my flesh, I haven't. In my position, I'm 100% free, I'm seated at the right hand of Christ, I've, I'm already, positionally, I'm already glorified, I'm already resurrected, I'm already there, I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. But it's the reality right here. It's the idea that as a Christian, I'm already seated with Christ in, in heavenly places. I'm already resurrected, I'm already alive, but I'm still going to die physically. I'm still going to get sick. I'm still going to die physically. I'm still going to sin because he saved me uh, and and, and positionally, but practically I'm still living this life as a fallen person who sins, who's going to get sick, and who's going to die. But once that happens, once that all happens, then I escape the bondage of the flesh, and then I experience the reality of my positional standing, which that positional standing is true right now. It's not true practically.
1: verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to obey to make you obey its passions. You know? He's saying you've been set free from this slavery. So walk it out. Now, am I saying here that a Christian can't walk back into slavery? Actually, I'm not saying that. This is an interesting thing about being set free. Jesus has set you and I free from the tyranny and the control of the sinful nature. I've said that how many times already this morning. But do you, do you guys understand what freedom really means? Do you understand that to be free, you have to also be free to choose what would make you, again, a slave? If you can't choose sin, you are not really free. Do you understand?
0: Oh, buddy, come on! Read the scripture! He's not talking about freedom here. He's talking about that you're dead to it. A dead person can't, he's, remember earlier in the sermon? You know, Spartacus, you're dead. The only way a, a slave, you know, death is the only freedom a, a slave can have. Whatever that line is from the movie. Okay, so he, 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 he hyped that up. Now he's like, no, you know, if you're truly free, if you're truly free, you can walk back into sin. No, not if I'm dead. Dead person can't walk back into anything because they're dead. So am I dead to it or am I simply freed from it? If I'm dead, I'm freed. And if I'm f- dead and free, then I can't walk back into it because I'm dead to it. So either am I dead to it practically or am I not dead to it practically? Can a Christian give me an answer that makes any stinking sense? I don't get I don't know. Oh my goodness. It's like it's like dealing with someone who's schizophrenic. It's like wait, wait, no, 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 this. Yeah, no, no. Look, which is it? Yeah, hey, you're dead and you're free, but you know, you're not truly free unless you can walk back into it. Not, 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 not you. We're, look, we're never free from it because we continue to sin every day. If we were free from it, we would stop sinning. And if we were dead to it, we wouldn't have to reckon ourselves to be dead because it would just be a reality. Dead people don't have to reckon themselves dead. They're dead. It's a reality. I don't have to go to the cemetery and tell all the all the, all the all the bodies in the cemetery, hey, reckon yourselves dead and lay back down. You're all dead. Just reckon. No, no. The the reality is I have to reckon myself dead because in practice, I have to try to live out what is true positionally. Positionally, I am dead to sin. I don't understand why this is so complicated, all right? Oh, this is crazy.
1: Do you understand that he hasn't taken away the option of choosing sin? He just simply has made you free to choose the right way now. Before you knew Christ, you had no choice in the matter. Now you have a choice in the matter. People think sometimes, well, if God set me free, then why do I keep sinning? Because you choose to. You choose to. You choose to sin. That's the only explanation. It's the only explanation in light of a scripture from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 1. Let me put this on the screen for you. Where Paul writes to the churches there and says, listen, guys, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is Paul saying here to us in this scripture? It's possible to go back and take on a position as a slave. It's possible. You've been set free. But you can, you're now free to say, Jesus, I follow you. But you're also free to say, sin, I'm going to follow you. If you aren't free to say that, you're not really free. And the Bible says, him whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? Free. That means free completely. Do you understand then that freedom means I can now choose bad stuff if I want to? Okay but I can also choose God if I want to. So that's why Paul writes to the Galatians and says, so guys, now that you're free, just understand this. He makes this beautiful statement. It's for freedom that God has set you free. It's not for slavery. He didn't set you free so you could go back and be a slave. He set you free so you could be free, so you could walk in freedom, you see. And so Paul is is appealing in that particular case with the Galatians. He's He's appealing to them about not taking on the yoke of slavery as it relates to following the law and and the conditions of the law and that sort of thing. So Paul ends this section here. Look at verse 13 with me once again. He says, So do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. you get, you got to figure out what that means in your life. Don't Don't do it. Don't present.
0: So the bottom line, he's only got like a minute left, and you get the basic idea. But according to him, so... You were baptized, you, you were baptized into Christ Jesus, uh, and immersed into Christ Jesus at your salvation. Boom. That's how you died to sin. Uh, and, but died to sin means you're free, free now to choose either to sin or not to sin. So now, if you, you're, you're completely free not to sin. You can freely choose not to sin. Now, see the fact that the Christian church has been teaching this for two thousand years is why we keep having so many problems and so much discouragement and so much burnout and so much frustration. Because Christians have been told for two thousand years, "You're free not to sin. You're free. Just choose not to sin. Just choose not to sin." And this is what led some people to start beating themselves, going to monasteries. Because, like, if I'm if I'm free to just stop sinning, I keep sinning. I'm going to have to take severe measures to stop myself from sinning. I'm going to have to do and. That, 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 I did I mean we won't go to all the things that's happened in church history to try to stop from sinning but some crazy extreme things were done because like if I can just if I'm free to just stop why do I why do I keep doing it because no you're missing out I am free I am dead positionally In practice, I try to live it out, but I'm not going to do it perfectly. To tell Christians around the world via the internet, hey, you're all free from sin. You're free from the sinful nature. Why do you sin? Because you choose to. So stop choosing it and you can be perfect. Well, then there's never been a Christian who's decided to choose perfection. Not one. Why? This is the mess that that this is what makes Romans 6 such a complicated passage, because this is what you get. He didn't really explain what the baptism was other than salvation, but he went from that we're dead, which is the whole argument Paul is making, that we're dead, to he's just saying, no, we're free. So he, he's he's thrown out the dead part to emphasize the free part, and, then once, and the way he's going to explain sin is because, well, you're free to sin, and you're free not to sin. Sometimes we choose, use our freedom to go back to sin. But it's just because it's a choice stop choosing it so i want all of you to choose to not sin for the next uh, for the rest of september right call me if you can pull that off all right we'll stop right there let's pray lord guide it can be very frustrating to hear a passage of scripture that is handled and so like at times contradicting its very self lord help us try to understand Help us try to to figure this out. Give us the the, uh, dedication to figure this out. We've got to figure it out on our own. We've got to study this, but it's your word. Help us handle it correctly. Help us not apply this to people and literally create a situation where people become so discouraged and so just to give up. Let us try to approach this in a way that makes more sense. And I hope that we can understand this from uh, the position that we have in you because of what Christ Jesus did for us, and because of our union with him. We ask this in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen.